Well, hello and welcome in to episode 24 of Free Rambling Men, a country music podcast with Stuart Banford and John Kerr. Stuart, it's been a minute. It's been, what, two weeks? It's been two weeks. It's been so long that you've actually replaced the uh, old mic cover that said Downtown Country. It's now a nice uh, bright blue. Do you know, I had to do an interview for the new gig, Country Line, and I realized two or three days before that... Um, you know, I couldn't obviously use my downtown country mic muff, so I went on Amazon and I got five mic muffs of various colors for about two ninety nine. Now, here's the funny thing: I did the interview. It was with Mackenzie Porter. I did the interview from four until a quarter past four, and at twenty past four, a guy from Amazon arrived with the mic muffs. <laughs> Very good. How have you been? Um, you are, in fact, alive. I am staring at the real Stuart Banford because you disappeared in me the other night. You absolute rascal, without a trace. Yeah, I had one of those moments, and I hadn't had one probably since like my early 20s, where due to a combination of tiredness, drunkenness, I just disappeared into the night. And I don't even remember. I, I came, was coming back from a toilet, and I saw an open door, and I just walked through it. So you do remember you... No, no, I remember that. Here, but... <laughs> no, 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 I remember that. But I don't remember the rhyme or reason. I don't remember the journey home. I remember falling asleep on my settee. And as I said to you, waking up the next morning and I'd spilt a glass of milk all over my grey sofa, which that's been fun trying to clean out. Well, sweet justice. Sweet justice for, for abandoning me and abandoning Carly, our number one fan for Free Rambling Men. And why were we with Carly? Well, the context of all of this was that we were out for the Ingrid Andress gig. She played Belfast to kick off a UK tour. Am I right in saying that, Stuarty? You are, and it was good. Uh, I don't think her sense of humour connected that well with the crowd, but musically, she was very good. She was very confident. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to maybe one of the first times I was ever introduced to her on the Bobby Bones show. This was years and years ago. This was before More Hearts Than Mine, even. And uh, she even then seemed so kind of laid back, overconfident. Now, this wasn't laid back on stage in Belfast, but it was still overconfidence. Um, that being said... She sounded, for the most part, I know there were maybe a couple of sound issues, but she sounded, for the most part, pretty damn good. Uh, and her songs are class, man. And she, I think she, you know, maybe as much as that comedy maybe didn't connect, as you say, I think she still had a, a good grip on the crowd um, because they were even requesting songs, right? And even had uh, some input into a song being played. I think it was The Stranger. It wasn't in her set list, and then it made its way in. Um, she played More Hearts Than Mine. She played Ladylike. And I'm so glad, mate, that she finished in my favourite song of all, Blue. Again, I don't know how many times I've said this, but there were so many points during that show when you just thought to yourself, like, this is not country music. <laughs> well, I don't know, Colorado girl, huh? Not exactly you screaming, know, stereotypical country music sort of uh, birthplace, is it? It's funny when you look out into the crowd at a country gig in Belfast and you do see those people in, like, check shirts and... Uh, like almost like body warmers and you know they've come from you know where the likes of the Irish country singers tour and you go you've come because this has been billed as a country gig I would love to know what's going through your mind right now it was a screamingly different demographic as well to Zach Bryan a few weeks before and uh, you know you had younger cooler girls you had sort of older women you had older men you had younger cooler guys everything in between it was the most kind of bizarre do you know what i mean this sort of concoction of, of people but that was more akin to the country music demographic that i had been used to rather than zach bryan a few weeks before you know it was top to bottom it was wide ranging is what i'm trying to say 
I did have that moment though, because it was in a venue in Belfast called the Limelight. And so there's a smaller room that holds, I think it's just under 500. And there's a room next door that's, I don't know, 12, 1500. So it was in the smaller one. Now it wasn't sold out, but it was busy and it was vibey. But, um, you know, I had that moment when I thought like, you're a massive star in the States. You play like amphitheaters, you tour with like Keith Urban. This is quite a special event to be at. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I was still impressed with the kind of the amount there, right? And I know you're right. Like, I mean, that song, More Hearts Than Mine, kind of transcended country music, right? So much so that I had colleagues in BBC Sport at the time saying to me that they had just come back from, I don't know, some, you know, Northern Irish boxers fight in the States and they were uh, talking about how much that song was being played all over the radio and not just on country stations, you know, More Hearts Than Mine. So um, clearly she is a pretty big star. Maybe she could have gone bigger. Do you think so? Do you think she could have? Could have played a bigger room? No, I think if that wasn't sold out, she shouldn't have gone bigger. But, you know, more hearts than mine was a minute ago. And that is the issue. It's the whole momentum thing. It's that weird thing where, like, trying to say something as an artist and have a a commercial hit, which just brings a crowd, isn't it? Yeah, I think I'm maybe just thinking that I could have done with a bit more of a push because, I mean, I think it was funny, right? This was a gig some years in the making because it was initially cancelled because of covid and pushed down the line to this random date in May. And then, I don't know, maybe it was because I was up the north coast of uh, of Northern Ireland there uh, on something of a, of a little holiday. We're hosting some American friends, some American family friends over at the moment. Um, and call it that, call it whatever. But until the Friday afternoon, I forgot the gig was on. We've talked about this so many times that it's the difference between Aiken and everybody else over here. If that was an Aiken show, you would have known right until she walked out on stage that it was at least happening with everybody else. It's just, it's like one social media post the day before the tickets go on sale, another post whenever they're on sale, and then unless you go on the venue website, you've no idea it's even happening. And of course, Aiken being a promoter, just for for context for anyone listening that might not know further afield than the Northern Ireland or even uh, England or the rest of the UK or whatever. Um... Stuart, I want to pick up on something you said there just because uh, you said, you know, for anyone listening to that, would they have thought it was country music? What is country music to you? Is it the accent? Is it three chords in the truth? I mean, do you have to have that that sort of almost southern sound at all in voice? Like, can you just get away with genuinely telling a story? And then maybe if that, if you sort of buy into that genre, does that make you a country music artist? I'm on board and I get it. But what I'm saying is when you're in a place like Belfast, which is not famous for like moving with the times um, and you look around the room and you can just tell by looking at people that their perception of country music is either going to be Nathan Carter or Garth Brooks. So then for somebody to come out and go here, so here's a wee song I wrote for Charlie XEX. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, uh, it was, you know, it was a hit. Uh, I would like to see her back here. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't catch her out in Belfast, but um, but yeah, I thought it went down really well. Uh, I know we were kind of be different in opinion on the night. Her finishing with Blue, a slightly more somber song, right? It's my favorite of hers, so I was buzzing. You maybe not so much, but anyway. No, I think I said to you, I just couldn't understand why her two biggest known songs, I think, Ladylike and More Hearts Than Mine. So to perform for over an hour and put those two songs in the middle of the set back to back, to me, seemed counterproductive, but I don't know. Fair enough, fair enough. And I think she said that Blue was like the uh, the first kind of love song, the first love song that she ever wrote. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, I've, I've said to you before about that line, you know, um, 
like a California swimming pool and a fit of pair of Levi 505s. To think about that being, you know, one of the first songs that she ever wrote and hearing that line, and I'm kind of going, that is such different songwriting. So uh, it's interesting to me that that was, you know, so early on in her in her career. But anyway, we're digressing here, are we, Stuart? Has that been a single? No. It is a great song, but it's got all the things that they would tell you won't work at American Country Radio, a sort of slow female-led ballad. Absolutely. Well, that was uh, Friday night in Belfast, Friday the 5th of May, and Grandandres played there. That was the context for Stuart and I being out and uh, for Stuart abandoning me. Um, Hello, Carly. She definitely got home safe because I walked up with her. Her mum picked her up, and uh, there's our number one fan, a free rambling man. Her mum came back and picked her up? Her mum came back and picked her up, yeah. Wow. Okay. Heather, shout out Heather. Anyway, so uh, we haven't done this in a minute. It's been yeah, literally a, a couple of weeks. So uh, country music to get caught up on, Sturdy. Um, but before we go there, we should inevitably uh, round up the charts. Shall we do that? So at the top, well, currently we're recording this on a Sunday. At the minute, as we speak, Dirk Bentley, he's at number one with gold. It's his 22nd chart topper. It might be gravel, but it feels like gold. Though, from everything I've seen so far today, I'm led to believe that Morgan Wallen is uh, about to have his ninth number one with Last Night. That's interesting, right? Because I'm seeing uh, on the other media-based chart that Parker McCollum's Handle on You is uh, is hitting number one. And to add uh, insult to injury, a top Billboard Country Airplay, the thing that's supposed to track radio airplay in the States, is Billy Zimmerman's Rock and a Hard Place. Between a rock and a hard place. Uh, new change, Sturdy, a top hot country songs that takes into account uh, streaming data and song sales. It is Morgan Mullen last night. Thirteen weeks in the chart, twelve weeks at number one, and eight weeks now at number one, Sturdy. Morgan Mullen's one thing at a time atop the Billboard uh, Top Country Albums chart. Stay in par, but I just love that album. And like now, I've moved on. Of another favorite song, and it just keeps. It's so good. It's so good. I think. The more you listen to it, the more I don't. I still haven't caught up on Morgan's uh, most recent album. It's it's maybe a bit wild. I don't know. I'm maybe going to steal a term here from YouTube country music commentator Grady Smith here and uh, say that I am release date agnostic, right? As in, uh, there is just so much music released all the time from so many artists that you're constantly discovering and even uh, rediscovering because you've forgotten about them for, for a while. And it's overwhelming. To the point where you kind of just go, I'll listen to it in a week or two or three, and then suddenly it's three or four months down the road and you still haven't listened to it. It's funny because, yeah, there's so much coming out on a Friday and then the charts don't really seem to change that much. And songs just not impacting for like a year later after they were released. It is truly bizarre. And uh, yeah, well, I think streaming tells a, a whole bigger story than country radio anyway in the states um and internationally to be fair so anyway running up the rest of the charts and that's looking toward the uk and ireland Stuart, you're mr ireland i'll uh, i'll cover the uk itunes country chart but um it is morgan wallen last night atop there uh luke combs fast car and dolly parton and kenny rogers talk about staying power islands in the stream at number three so at the top of the irish charts i don't know i made that comment earlier that uh you know we're not great at moving on <laughs> At number one, Faith Hill, There You'll Be, a song <laughs> a song that was released in 2001 for the soundtrack to the movie Pearl Harbor, which, random say. fact, was originally offered to Celine Dion, who passed on it. 
you know what? Uh, there might be some Pearl Harbor haters out there, but uh, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it. Strangest kind of love triangle film I've ever seen, though, right? I've like, never seen it. I mean, objectively speaking, here, right? But how <laughs> oh, lucky is Kate Beckinsale getting to uh, fall in love and play, you know, in this love triangle of Ben Affleck and was it is it Josh Hartnett? Um, <laughs> so that's all the country charts loaded then, Stuarty. Um, mm. I rounded up, brother, and uh, well, wonderful. Let's move on to some news because we haven't uh, we haven't given the good people any updates for a couple of weeks' time. Are we going to cross the bridge of new music coming out? Give me a bit of that. Well, I'm just thinking about. Um, Mega Maroney's new album coming out. Lucky. It came out on Friday, and I think I've listened to it nine times. It is so good. <laughs> I haven't got that far. I haven't got that far, but uh, let me just pull up some of the songs that uh, that I have caught so far. Earlier, I heard uh, a little taste of uh, Why Johnny, uh, Georgia Girl, and maybe Trader Joe. So I'm intrigued to check out the rest of it, but certainly the the little of the uh, of the songs that weren't released that I heard earlier today suggested to me that they were very heartbreaky and slow and uh, somber music and very kind of uh, the way Parker McCollum is billing his new album to be, which releases, I think, next Friday uh, or this coming Friday by the time you're hearing this. Um, which I'm also so excited about, but the way he's billing that as being just an album of of heartbreak, right? You know, this is one of these sort of classic country artists that just writes heartbreak songs. Yeah, and you know, on Megan's album, I just love the closer, sad songs for sad people. Do you know what? I'm going to say this, and once it's in your head, you'll either come with me or you won't. Um, listen to Megan Maroney, right? And imagine Cheryl Crow and Kelsey Ballerini, if you were able to put those two voices in a pot and stare it, that is what this album sounds like to me. I mean, you could also stir it, though, right? <laughs> what did I say? Stir it? Stir it. Stir. Um, well, I'm only playing. Oh, I'm yeah. just being a rascal. <laughs> but yes, I, that's a great shot, actually, because I know you know I kind of know exactly what you mean. It's almost she's got this kind of like sweet yet not overly powerful thing that Kelsey's got going on, right? And yet the Cheryl Crow's the grittiness, right? The slightly more almost southern rock, dare I say? And I don't think she's as. Well, at this point, anyway, she's not as smart of a songwriter as Taylor Swift, but I think she leans into that, like, girl being screwed over, self-deprecating perspective. Maybe she's not there yet. I mean, who is, to be fair? I mean, I was, I was joking about this the other day. Who the heck could possibly get away with in this day and age rhyming narcissism with altruism and whatever else she huh. does in that series and Antihero of the Country? Uh, two seconds. So it's funny, Sturdy, uh, we were obviously recording there, and then... Uh, my front door went and it was our American family friends sort of arriving back and uh, we got to talk there. So we're going to circle back to what we were talking about in the edit. This will sound so seamless. But uh, anyway, uh, there we were talking about Megan Maroney um, and maybe in the context of Taylor Swift and how she's maybe not there yet in terms of uh, that sort of intelligence of songwriter. But uh, I mean, who is on Taylor's level there where I was joking about rhyming altruism with narcissism or whatever but i've been really impressed by by something new that i heard in megan's tennessee orange but also in her song girl in the mirror which is just phenomenal right and so i'm excited to listen to uh to the rest of this album this new album lucky but let me just pick up pick you up on a line here from tennessee orange and see if you ever heard this this way before right so i think this is in the bridge journey um mama forgive me i like him a lot hell i'm learning the words to old rocky top and he's got a smile that makes me forget I've always looked better in red. 
Okay. So you uh -huh. interpret that. I'm just going to speak for you here that it's because the Georgia Bulldogs wear red, right? But the way I kind of interpreted this recently playing on the radio, it was the first time I'd heard it in that light. You know, mama, forgive me. I like him a lot. And then he's got a smile that makes me forget I've always looked better in red. It's because she's blushing at his smile. Red in the cheeks. Surely that has got to be some sort of like little kind of double level there of songwriting, double little meaning. Yeah. So what I'm saying is the point being that Megan Maroney has got, I think she's got depth, man. I think she's got levels and I'm really excited to, to take a listen to the rest of this album. She comes across as like, you know, very dolly, very happy-go-lucky, very like, you know, there's the rumors about her maybe hooking up with Morgan Wallen. It's strange that potentially there's either been one massive heartbreak or maybe a series of them. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you just... um I don't know. Maybe you uh, channel your shallow self here uh, and you kind of go, how is this girl who is quite possibly the most attractive woman on planet Earth? Um, yeah. How has she found heartbreak here? <laughs> what is that about? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Forgive me if I don't believe you. No, I'm joking. But that's uh, that's Megan Maroney's new album, Lucky. Check it out. Uh, also, we should mention Willie Nelson, hot off the back of him just celebrating his 90th birthday uh, with a two-day star-studded concert bash at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles. It's now been revealed he's going to be inducted about time into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on November 3rd. He'll be inducted alongside the likes of Kate Bush, Rage Against the Machine, Missy Elliott, Sheryl Crow, and the late George Michael. Is there a little bit of that, Sturdy, almost, you know, kind of funny that Willie is, uh, well, kind of joining Dolly in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? Because, um, you know, you, these are two... Right, I was going to say vintage, but just you know, older country artists that you would obviously expect to be in the Country Music Hall of Fame, but not necessarily the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, uh, does it feel as strange that Willie is joining as when Dolly was invited? For some reason, no, because I think Willie's always had a more edgier image, but also I think maybe because. Dolly did a very good job of making it very clear. It's not about the music that I've made being considered as rock music. It's about me influencing people who have become rock artists. That's an interesting kind of uh, perspective. I like that. So, yes, <laughs> during his recent performance at the Stagecoach Festival, you may have caught this. Uh, Alan Jackson, through a pre-recorded video message, invited John Party to be the next member of the Grand Ole Opry. That's pretty damn cool, man. It's pretty damn cool. My one and only time going to the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, Tennessee. And I got to see John Party play. So, uh, I don't know, something about that almost feels full circle. And, uh, and yeah, pretty cool. And do you know what? What a what an ambassador for country music. 100%, because these days, it does seem like with certain artists, they haven't earned it is maybe not right, but there's a maybe voices out there would say like this person's only been on the radar for maybe five years. They're already an Opry member. Whereas back in the day, you had to sort of really, really earn that. Whereas I've seen no negativity about John Party. He's almost like flying the flag for traditional sound. And of course, Stuart, we're, we're doing this podcast from Belfast, Northern Ireland, the place John Party is going to be playing in August time. Can't wait for that. Can't wait to see him in person once more. Party by name, party by nature. <laughs> Be here for yourself. So Dirk Bentley and uh, Miranda Lambert, they're teaming up to record um, a series of duets, which will feature in the television drama series Far Country. This is the same program in which Kane Brown last month made his acting debut. So I followed Tyler Rich, country artist, right? Still kind of somewhat on the rise. And uh, his wife, Sabina, 
who is an actress, and I think she maybe acts in it. And yeah, it seems to be getting quite the spell of momentum in the states. But this is interesting. You tell me, Stuart, this is this could be the new Yellowstone of sorts, featuring uh, country music artists all over the soundtrack. Well, we should mention, of course, it was big news this week that uh, Kevin Costner split with his wife. Oh, is that right? Yes. Oh, I missed this. Oh, yeah. She apparently pulled the plug and will happily Ooh. take half. And um, I saw this morning photographs. I mean, I suppose if he leaves his house at the minute, the press are going to follow. But uh, he did what a lot of men would do when going through something like that. He was uh, at a driving range hitting golf balls. Perhaps the free rambler men are destined for a, a little bit of a, a date here to the driving range. Can we play mini golf? Uh, we can play mini golf if you like. But I enjoy the challenge, like trying to get it through like a windmill or a clown's mouth. Yeah, I mean, I'm a sportsman. I'm competitive. They also serve alcohol. What hope have we if you're leaving Kevin Costner? John, I don't even need that thought in my head. Yeah. So you are aware of this. In March, the band Perry announced, even though we thought they'd already split, that they were officially splitting to uh, pursue individual creative ventures. One of them, I think, was starting work at Burger King. Um, now, leads, <laughs> now lead singer Kimberly Perry she has released a reworked version of the band's most famous song If I Die Young she's changed the verses but the chorus remains intact wow I would say that news is uh, something of a whopper seems to be you know it's a talking point and uh, it's gained a bit of momentum for what will be the release of her forthcoming solo EP what a song, right? What an original song back in the day. Completely transcended country music. It was an all-genres hit. Can I be cynical? Put my cynical hat on here, Stuart, I think and just say... We all are being cynical about this. Right, okay. Say it how it is. It's just trying to use the song's momentum still, right? Just jump back on to any sort of essence of success that you had once upon a time. But, you know, the chorus is the best part of the song, and... Look how many songs that don't seem to have been released that long ago are now being reworked for pop radio and TikTok and whatnot. So there's probably a very smart method to this madness. And it also raises an interesting point um, in that, well, I think it was Taylor Swift, not that she did it necessarily first, but she did it maybe in the mainstream uh, for our generation, perhaps uh, somewhat relatively recently. And maybe that makes it first for us. I don't know. But the point being, she made songs have sequels, right? And stories that sort of went on through the, you know, the uh, the pace of an album or whatever. And so maybe it's okay that such a huge song of the band Perry's has a sequel. The problem, though, in this case is at the end of the original one, the person dies. <laughs> no, well, it's all... Maybe the music video would have you believe that way. I don't, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's all surely, it's all surely quite speculative. You know, it's if I die young, right? Listen, the fact that we're even having this conversation, if you know Kimberly Perry put out something else, would we care? Probably not. In fact, uh, almost certainly not. But hey, maybe this is a way to reel you back in. And so, uh, what's the space? I shared it to my story, and she actually liked it, or she replied with hard eyes. I think. Did you reply now? I just liked it. Ah, safe, safe. I would have I got drunk and invited her on the pod or something and then just waited for a reply for nine weeks. You definitely would. Uh, Remember that day I was saying uh, we should have a new feature in the podcast where we uh, video call just a random country artist every week and see if they answer. And you were like, no, this is not a very good idea, John. This is a very bad idea. 
No, but I did, after one too many, um, get involved in a conversation recently with songwriter Emily Westband. And at the end of the conversation, I said, look, me and my buddy John have this podcast. Would you like to come on? And she was like, that would be so awesome. And thank you so much for asking. And then I said, look, we'll work around you. Just give me a time and a date. And we'll make it happen. That was about three months ago. I'm still waiting for a reply. <laughs> Maybe she's got no time. Maybe she's been that's a busy few months. Maybe she dropped her phone in the toilet. There's a lot of things, you know. A lot of things that could have happened, Stuart, and I don't think uh, we should be rushing to any conclusions that she uh, she doesn't like us. Maybe, you know, songwriters like to be very private, and maybe she checked out the Free Rambling Men, our profile, the amount of listeners we have, and thought, I'm not ready for that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. 150, 180 followers on Instagram. It's, it's intimidating. It's intimidating. And uh, just to finish off, our buddy Breland, he is returning to Belfast to play again the Empire on September 13th. And uh, I'm keen to see how that's going to go. It's either going to be a massive success or there's going to be me, you and Carly there. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm fascinated to see Breland pick up on his, uh, I don't know, clear run of DM sliding and uh, Northern Irish future wifing. The man likes the ladies. Isn't that? it funny how many females we speak to who mention they were at Breland at Russell Dickerson and they all pull out their phones and go, look, I'm chatting to him on Instagram. <laughs> well, I mean, he, clearly he wasn't, you know, watching the Eagles game that night in uh, in Town Square in Belfast wasn't the only activity that he was getting up to on his phone. Listen, he's a man who enjoys a collaboration. Who doesn't? Hey, surely, who doesn't? I'm more of a solo guy. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, as a player. Hey, moving on. <laughs> so, Shirley and uh, everyone else who is listening and might remember an interview with Rachel McIntyre Smith once upon a time, uh, an artist that we interviewed in the early days on the podcast. Uh, well, her same sort of representation reached out to us uh, about an artist called Erin Gibney. Now, this is an artist from Connecticut. Uh, based in Nashville and sure I think I said to you not many country artists I've ever heard of being from Connecticut I even had to ask her uh, you know about uh, about the state and um, and maybe how that uh, has impacted her journey and it might be kind of cool to uncover something new about an artist on the rise so this is me John Kerr in conversation with Erin Gibney love it to meet you love it to meet you Erin uh, where are you from? I'm originally from Southington, Connecticut, um, but I've been living in Nashville for about six years now. Trying to trying to make it in a ten year town, is that right? Yeah, yeah, ten year town. Yeah. So how many years you've been there? Sorry. Uh, six. Six. So you still got four to go, right? Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> You're good to go. So, Aaron, you are from uh, Connecticut, living in Nashville, and yeah. uh, and how's it all going for you? It's been amazing. Um, I feel like this past year has been just. Like my life just changed so much. I got to go on tour for the first time, which was so cool. I got to open for a band that I've just admired and loved for so long. So um, this entire year has been probably the best of my career so far. And I've just been really enjoying it and try to live in the moment and, and just appreciate it while it's here. Is it strange for you just to kind of park the interview questions for a second, right? Just to say, is it strange for you kind of talking to somebody interested in country music halfway across the world? Like, do you get that the country music is international now? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I I guess it's not really something that I've thought of um, because sometimes I feel like my career is so central to Nashville and everything happens in this one city that sometimes I forget that um, 
like there are people who love music and my music um, and country music, you know, all the way across the world. I got a comment on TikTok the other day. I was posting about the tour and and someone had said, um, oh, my God, you should come to the UK. And it was such a cool moment for me to just kind of be like, oh, my God. Yeah, I would love to do that. Um, so, yeah, it's really cool. I'm sure you've heard of C2C, Country to Country, right? The big music festival yes. that comes over three days. Yes. And sort of. Well, it does, I suppose, does kind of mainland Europe now as well, but uh, it's pretty cool. So I'm sure you can set your sights on that at some stage. Yes. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how Exit Signs go. Exit Signs is the new single coming out, right? Yes, it is. Um, that is the new single. It comes out on May 12th. I'm super excited. This song is like my baby. It's like the song I'm the most proud of. I'm so, so happy to get it into the world. So it's going to be exciting. And with that kind of five-year relationship in mind what was that is that you know how that song came about yes it is so I kind of um it was I was about a month out of my relationship when I walked into this right and um I walked in and I was with Chris Allen who had one American Idol that I watched growing up and it was it was a really cool moment and I was so nervous for the right and I was also like so emotional about this breakup and I walked in and I was like, I have this idea. I was like blubbering. I was just like spilling my guts to him about um, what I've been going through. And I was like, I have this idea. I was in a long, my relationship was long distance all five years. Um, and my ex had been living in Connecticut. And I was like, I feel like traveling was such a big part of the relationship. And I wanted to kind of honor that in the song. And so I was like, I know that I want the title to be exit signs. And I know I want these lyrics and yada, yada, yada. And he kind of helped me piece it, piece all those thoughts together. So it was cool. And here we are. Here we are. So yeah, here we are. You, you said you're very proud of it, but um, explain it to somebody who who would be unfamiliar. Why should they listen to Exit Times? I think that, I mean, I count it as a very difficult thing to walk away from a relationship. I think no matter the time that you've been together, I think it's really hard to look at someone, especially that you love and and that, you know, is is a good person and you, and you think highly of and to have to look at them and say, okay, like it's time and, you know, maybe we've grown out of this or we've grown past this. And um, I think for me, when I was going through it, I felt like there were so many songs about being broken up with and not a lot of songs about like being the one to call that breakup. And I really needed that for that song in my life. And so I wrote it. And so I, I guess my hope is, um, you know, anyone who listens to it and they're going through that situation or even someone who has broken up with, been broken up with, can listen to it and kind of like understand those emotions and and how difficult and how much guilt kind of comes along with that. You're right though. I mean, I can only think of like, you know, maybe Marin Morris. I wish I was, you know, I'm not the, yeah, I'm not yeah, the, exactly. the hero in the story kind of thing. Like there's not many yeah. songs. There aren't many songs uh, from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So something refreshing for somebody to hear, but ultimately it's relatable. It is country music. I suppose we've maybe glossed over the fact that, you know, you are a country music artist, but is that how you would describe yourself? Um, I would describe myself as as pop country. Um, I think for when I first moved to this town, I was like so like honed in on just country music. And I think as I got older, I, I more realized that I fit into a pop country realm. Gotcha. Gotcha. So pop country realm. Um, but I mean, I suppose you can see the merits in kind of, you know, uh, singer songwritery, if you consider that as a genre, yeah, genre yeah. As, you, as you get into these rights and sort of sort of uh, uncover things. I was going to ask, how old are you, Aaron? I'm 23. 23, 23, right? Yeah. So coming out of a five-year relationship. Wow. God love yeah. you. Um, <laughs> whole life ahead of you, Aaron. I'm, uh, I just recently <laughs> turned 30 and uh, had a lot of questions for myself, you know? So uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, so 23, coming out of a five-year relationship. And just with that saying, uh, kind of, you know, you think you're pop country now. It's maybe a, a, a sub-genre 
a label that's associated with somebody who is younger, who is your age, right? Yeah. Do you see, uh, and I'm not saying it's immature, but do you see yourself potentially maturing out of pop country and, you know, or, or just seeing how, you know, we, I, we were joking before, one day at a time, sweet Jesus, how you, this musical journey just goes, how you kind of take uh, take music one day at a time? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I've never really felt like like I had to fit, you know, into the box of pop country for my my whole career. I think I love the way that Taylor Swift kind of went about her career and, and just kind of exploring different genres. I think as you get older, you know, your life experiences change so much. And, and I think I could, you know, one day fit into maybe an Americana realm or or maybe a, a totally pop realm. And um, I think that that will just depend on where I am in my life. And so I think exploring other genres is definitely something that I'm open to. And I think I could definitely see myself doing that. And what do you make of kind of country music the way it is right now? Because, I mean, there's an argument that it is just a big kind of umbrella of a ton of subgenres, you know, like Appalachian music and Red Dirt and Americana even, you know, outside yeah. of just even the, the Nashville kind of marketable aesthetic sound maybe. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, that's how I see it. I, I genuinely do, because like you look at artists like Zach Bryan and then you look at artists like Kelsey Ballerini and they both fit under a country like umbrella, but they're so different. And so I think that I would say that that country has become I think it used to be, you know, a really clear, clean cut genre. But I think it has become um, just with so many different artists and so many different styles, it has kind of become like an overarching term. It's a beautiful space to be in, I suppose, you know, it's expressive yeah, it right? is. And, and maybe evolution is a good thing. But yeah, um, yeah so let's kind of get to know Aaron a little bit better then, right? Okay, so we're, we're talking the label Pop Country. We know you're 23. We know you're out of a five-year relationship, but uh, so it all started in Connecticut. Uh, yes. Tell me about Connecticut because somebody over here in Northern Ireland, somebody even listening in the UK, uh, sort of mainland England or whatever, um, who doesn't know much about Connecticut, you know, I, mean, I, I don't really. What's it like? Yeah, definitely. Um, I love Connecticut. Um, it's, it is like home to me. I just, I could only say good things about it. Um, but I grew up in, in central Connecticut, it's probably 45 minutes from the ocean. Um, and an hour and a half to Boston, an hour and a half to New York, which was always really great growing up because I had two cities that I loved very much that I could, you know, had easy access to. Um, and growing up in Connecticut, it was, it was funny because I have a twin sister and an older sister and my twin, she is a nurse and my older sister is a teacher and mm -hmm. they are so like good at, you know, they were so good in school and so had just like this like really beautiful path of like life that they were carving. And, and I hadn't really found that for myself. And I think when I found music and when, when I, you know, really got attached to it, I had fallen in love with this idea of being a country singer. And I was like, 12 and from Connecticut and I was like how is this gonna work and my parents were like okay maybe you'll grow out of this and um so I think being from Connecticut it was it was funny because I had chosen a genre and a career that wasn't um very very typical for for how I grew up and so I think moving here it's definitely very different in Nashville just just culture wise um but I do love Connecticut and I'm, I'm very glad that I grew up there and and yeah yeah, I've got to be honest. I can't think of literally any other artist who's yeah, kind of, from, you know, from, country, from yeah, Connecticut. It's right? Very small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a small state, right? But uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I suppose they well, they typically come from sort of surrounding states to Tennessee, right? Um, right, right. I mean, listening to country music growing up, then, right? Uh, was that a thing? You know, why, why, how did country become your thing? 
Um, I mean, my dad was always a huge country music person, but it wasn't something that I like really grew up with. I grew up more with like Bruce Springsteen and the Eagles and Led Zeppelin, you know, that was more the music that I had grown up on. And so I think for me, um, that like love of country really came from like women in country and females and, um, just seeing like, like just that like Taylor Swift, like kind of girly pop um, country that was kind of coming up when I was growing up. And I think that was really something that I, I just absolutely fell in love with. And, and yeah. So when I was kind of choosing like my genre, like feeling like where I fit in, it was like Taylor Swift was like releasing red and, and Kelsey Ballerini had just come into the scene. And I was like that, I want to do that for sure. (laughs) And like like a musical, like a student of music growing up, like playing guitar, what are we talking here? Yeah, um, I had done like guitar, piano, violin, um, ukulele, like all growing up um, through like middle school and, and high school. But it wasn't something that I had, at least in middle school, I like instruments hadn't really, I didn't really fall in love with them one until I picked up the guitar. Oh yeah, okay. And then uh, what, Three Quarters in the Truth just happened? It just put on yeah, yeah, a hard sand about country music, right? <laughs> right, right. So here we are then uh, six years in Nashville and you're 23. So I'm doing the math. Moved when you're 17? Yes. Sounds yeah, pretty typical of uh, of somebody maybe starting the Nashville journey, right? Yeah, yeah. Like right after high school, I was like, I'm just going to go straight for it and make the move. And I've really fallen in love with it here. It's a big step. It's a big step. It's, it's also a very American notion. You know, we've got some, uh, some American yeah. friends of it right now and we're just kind of you know, each trying to understand each other's subtleties in life and, uh, you know, hopping across state lines seems to be no big thing to an American, you know, starting right, fresh somewhere, right. especially that uh, young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was definitely a hard it was a hard decision to make, I would say that young, um, especially because my sisters were staying in New England and and I was like definitely too young to be moving a thousand miles away. Um, but I, I ended up going to college here and, um, I liked college. It definitely wasn't like something that I was like super in love with or like the reason why I obviously came here. Um, but I was going to college and I was just kind of figuring out my place here. And, um, it, it was, it was a hard move. And I think even though it's definitely easy to get home, but, um, I think even though it is, it's definitely still scary to be like, oh my God, my whole family is like in a different time zone kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. So it was well, how, how many hours difference between? I mean, it could just be one hour, right? Yeah, it's only oh, it's right, literally okay. one. It's like fifteen one hour. hours away. If I was to ask you just straight up for a quick answer as to when you think maybe things started a little bit of momentum started to hit for you, what year would that have been? I would say um, when I was signed with my team at Rockbridge Music, I was twenty at the time. Um, COVID had just hit and everything was kind of shutting down. Um, and I signed with them in June of twenty twenty, and I just kind of like honed in on my music like during that time and and I had this brand new team that was kind of helping me figure things out and I'm still with them today I love them very very much and I think that was the year that I was finally like okay like this is real like I can do this and and things are actually starting to work out because I think for a while I was kind of just like bumping around trying to figure out like how I was going to get my next show well, yeah I'm kind of curious how those first yeah. three years then maybe so you're 20 you were 20 then whenever yeah. maybe started to strike but those first three years or so, 17 to 20, say, yeah. for sake of argument, uh, I mean, you know, were you working part-time jobs then to support yourself or? Yeah, I was working two jobs at the time um, and just playing every single night that I could. Um, it didn't even matter where it was as long as I could just get a gig. And I was trying to grow on my social media. Like TikTok had just been like coming out like on the later end of that, um, trying to grow like on Instagram, post my music, write. Um, 
but it was really hard because I think when you're in that place and you don't, you know, have a connection or you don't have like, you know, a lead on the next step of your career, it feels like you're just like fumbling and bumbling, like to the, from one thing to the next and like seeing what will work. And I think like once I got with my team, like that all kind of sorted out and we were like, okay, we have steps in place and, and procedures that we have, like, you know, when new singles come out, but when you're just learning, you're just like flailing from one thing to the next, trying to, trying to get opportunities, you know? And what, what, what jobs were you working at? There's two sort of, there's a couple of part-time jobs. Um, everything under the sun. I worked at the Ryman, um, nice. and the Grand Ole Opry. I worked there. I've worked, um, as a virtual assistant, social media person, event manager, um, and literally anything that will pay me money and pay for my music. I'm like, sign me up. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's the cool thing though, right? It's cool to hear, kind of hear about that because that's the, you know, that's, that's Aaron working hard, right? That's Aaron putting herself out there and, 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 you know, choosing all these different avenues, working so many jobs, just trying to make the music. Music City, uh, I had my sort of first taste of it last year. It oh, nice. is chaotic. It is totally chaotic. You know, yes. I mean, Broadway is is something else. Obviously, I don't think many yeah. artists, <laughs> maybe like yourself, spend too much time there. But there are a lot of artists performing there. There are a lot of budding artists performing in these bars. And then, you know, years later, they, they finally uh, start to get a little bit of momentum themselves. But it just seems to be, and maybe you can... You can uh, speak to this. Uh, I saw a meme of, you know, a bunch of cooks in a kitchen. And it was, you know, one of them saying, the the, the newest recruit sort of saying, uh, but I play guitar and I sing. And then the head chef sort of said, we all do. Yeah. You know, so like the point being that Nashville is such a talented place, right? So how do you stand out? How does that momentum start to strike when you turn, you know, 20-ish? It's hard because... In a town like this one, you're constantly, you know, in comparison to other people. You're constantly, you know, walking to writer's rounds with two to three other people sitting right next to you. And you feel like you're kind of always like, you know, next to the next best thing, you know, or like to the next big thing. Um, and so I think with when I was those ages, I when I turned 20, I that was like the year that I was like, okay, I'm ready for the next step. I'm ready um, to get with a team. I, I feel, you know, like that is the next move for me. And so I remember, um, I come home right after Christmas, I was, I was back in Nashville and I told my parents, I was like, I'm going to get signed this year. I, I just have to. And so I sent an email to literally every single person. It didn't matter if it was in New York, London, uh, LA, it didn't matter to me. I was like, I am ready for anything. And um, I got an email back. It was the only email that I got back from this guy, Tom, at Rockridge Music. And he was like, hey, like, let's set up a, a meeting. We'll come to your show. We'll meet you in the studio. Um, just kind of like get a feel for who you are as an artist. And like they say, it only takes one yes. And that was my one yes, which was amazing. And they were interested. I remember I was sitting, I was getting ready for work. I was going to the Ryman. Um, I was working in the retail shop at the time. And I was sitting on my on my balcony um, having coffee before work. And I got an email from Tom and it was just the contract to sign with them um, for the next three years, which was amazing. And I renewed my contract this year, which was great. Um, and how so, long yeah. does that go for? Um, you, you renew? When I renew, um, yeah. three years. Three, three years. years. And so what yeah. does that contract consist of? So, you know, break it down to somebody who, who doesn't yeah. really know. Like, what do you have to do to kind of fulfill your, your end? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's like, for me, I, I love having a handle on my career. I love being a part of all of it. The design from socials to advertising, everything. 
Um, that, that's all something that I really like to have a hand in. I think every artist treats their team or their, you know, the roles of their team differently. I personally like to be, you know, in that and have that a sense of control with it. Um, so for me, you know, I have, I have an amazing team. I have a publicist, um, a social media manager, um, agent managers. They're all people that I talk to on a daily basis. And, um, that all just consists of setting up podcasts like this and getting me shows, putting me on the road. Um, they kind of just manage my life, which is awesome. And, and I have them, um, to kind of help me get opportunities and manage those opportunities. And how do you see the next sort of few years plan out then? Um, I don't know, honestly, I think, I think for a while I've been like, okay, this is exactly where I want to be in a year. And then if I'm not there, it, it's like devastating to me. Um, so I think for, for now, I, I love these next few songs and I'm just kind of leaving it to the universe. I'm going to keep doing like my, my hard work and wherever those songs take me is kind of where I'm supposed to be kind of mindset. Okay. And so somebody's listening to this right now. And they're thinking, why should I, why should I listen to Aaron Gibney over somebody else? You know, sell yourself to me, sell yourself to, okay. to whoever's listening. Okay. Um, well, I think for me, um, in, in my twenties and, and as I've grown up, I think I've learned to be a lot more vulnerable in my music. And I think that this music is the most honest that I've ever been. I think it's relatable in the sense that everyone gets their heart broken and I have written 10,000 songs about it. Um, and I think that if someone is looking for music that, that they can really feel, you know, heard or understood or like they are not alone in, in what they're going through. I think that you might enjoy Aaron Gibney <laughs> and, um, or you might enjoy these songs. So I, it's my hope that, that anyone would, would take a chance on that. I suppose to be fair, even if you're the one who's doing the breaking up, doesn't mean your heart's not right. broken, right? Right, right. Which songs should people listen to? Obviously, Naive's quite a big one, right? Before Exit Yes, Summers. yeah. Naive is like my my little baby. I love that song so much. Um, that song, I, I wrote a song too about, um, called Easy Like That. That's about heartbreak, about young love, about, you know, feeling like you're, you'll always have love for the person that, you know, you first fell in love with. And I think, yeah, I think that those two songs really have my heart um naive and easy like that and exit signs comes out when uh may 12th uh that was episode 24 for your amble man and country music podcast with Stuart bamford and john Kerr. and until the next time keep rambling free like and subscribe hi Stuart. hey nice to meet you how you doing nice to meet you i'm pam are you enjoying your trip over? Oh, I love it. It's just wonderful you've got, here. You've got lucky with the weather this weekend. We planned on rain the whole time, so we've been very lucky. Here's the husband. Here's Steve. <laughs> Steve Hello. How you doing? Hello, Stuart. We do a podcast oh. together talking about country music. Oh, that's oh, cool. Actually, so we do this. We're usually record once a week, but we haven't done one for a couple of weeks. So we're just uh, we're recording and uh, right. we usually put it out in the middle of the week. Oh. Very nice. I had to buy a rain jacket for the first time just to be prepared. The fact that like you are only buying one for the first time. We're given one when we're born. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.